Hello and welcome back to Lost in Sci-Fi and Fantasy. I'm your host Leo and today we are talking about Dune Part 1. The latest adaptation of Dune. At least part one of it. This movie came out in 2021 around the time that theaters were not really comfortable with you know large amounts of people. So companies were releasing their movies primarily on streaming in order to get the movie out. Uh, I watched it on HBO Max when when it came out, and I I enjoyed it. Although you know it was a little bit hard to hear at times and whatnot because a lot of the dialogue is kind of spoken in low tones a lot of the time, so it, it's a bit rough in that sense. Me, trying to watch it back this time, it, it was a bit rough in that sense too. So I, I ended up having to listen to it almost turned all the way up to be able to actually hear the dialogue and then when like a loud explosion would happen it would just like kind of woof through it, it was it was okay I got it, I settled into it it worked out fine I, I enjoyed it at the time at the time I hadn't read the book yet but I had seen the 80s film and in comparison to the 80s film I had enjoyed this one a lot more mostly because they did get rid of a lot of the the weird stuff that the 80s film had Though, it still kind of retains some of it, and we will get into that, as to like what they changed and whatnot. But, yeah, I think overall it is going to be a bit of a short one this week, as this movie covers like the first half of the book, maybe a little bit more than half of the book. Overall, I would say that it does very well at that. It changes some things, like it, it will remove a scene here, add a scene there, change some stuff around. It's fine. It works out pretty well, actually. But yes, let's let's go ahead and start diving into the film. So the movie is two and a half hours long, and it opens with a introductory narration by Chani, played by Zendaya. It, it's showing that the Fremen have been in like this long struggle against the Harkonnens until one day. They just up and left because the Emperor told them to leave. And the belief is that the Emperor told them to leave because the Emperor believes that the Harkonnens are gaining too much power. In that by having control of the spice, they have been able to accrue a huge amount of wealth to the point where they have more money than the Emperor. Then, after the the scene... That kind of gives us the title card. We then kind of begin where the book began. With Paul waking up. Though it's... It's still technically not not that. I mean, it has him having a dream about Shani and everything. But instead it goes to a scene of him having breakfast with his mother. Where his mother is trying to get him to use the voice on her. To have, you know help train him. To get him to pass a cup of water to her. Sorry, to, uh, have her pass a cup of water to him uh, through force. He's not quite able to do it. He almost does it, but isn't quite able to. And so then he, he moves on. Then from there he goes into studying about Arrakis, where they shall be leaving to. All the while kind of having some visions while, while learning about Arrakis. Then the Emperor's messenger comes to officially decree 
to the Atreides family that they are to move to Arrakis and asks whether or not they accept. And of course they accept because they kind of have to. Then it cuts to a hangar where Paul goes to meet with Duncan Idaho. Now Duncan is the like master of arms kind of guy who's been training uh, Paul in in like combat. Though uh, Gertie trains him in combat now and then as well. But Paul wants to go with uh, Duncan to to meet the Fremen as he is scared that Duncan is going to die. Paul tries to warn him of, of this, but Duncan kind of you know shrugs it off. In this movie they, they do they have much more of a like a close friendship than than they might in the book, where Duncan Idaho in the book is a little bit more slightly distanced. Like he's friendly, yes, but he he's also a lot more skeptical and mean at times. But he is going off ahead with an advanced party to scout out Arrakis as well as to establish a connection with the Fremen to hopefully get the Fremen to join the Atreides as like a, a decent fighting force. After this, Paul goes to find his father, who he finds in, I'm guessing, the family cemetery, where they're... That's where they have their discussion over the idea of desert power. Now, desert power is a big thing that they were discussing in the books. His idea is that on Caladan, they harnessed land and sea power, but Arrakis is a whole different pot of sand, and so they must try to harness desert power. And the best way to try to do this is through the Fremen as they have lived there their entire lives, and thus know their way around. Then we go to Paul's fighting scene, his training scene. This is where, like, shields are introduced and whatnot in the book. They're also introduced here in the movie. And it, it follows pretty close. Him and, uh, him and Gertie Halleck train, and when Paul says that he is not in the mood... Gertie gets really mad at that and forces him to get into the mood to fight. Then it cuts to Getty Prime, the home of the Harkonnens. And this is where the plan is lightly laid out, not really. Basically, it just... In the book, this scene is where the entire plan is laid out. The whole point of it is to try to teach um, Fade how to you know, be a little bit manipulative and teach him about plans within plans. But in this, I don't remember seeing Fade. It's just Raban, his other nephew, who, until this point, had stewardship over Arrakis and was kind of holding the place down. Well, under a thumb. And in this, in the movie, he comes in very angry and asks why they were just letting the planet be taken by the Atreides. At which point, the Baron Harkonnen says, you know, what is a gift that isn't a gift? Kind of thing. Pretty much saying, hey, it's all part of the plan. Then we finally get the scene from the beginning of the book. Paul sleeping, having another premonition, when the Reverend Mother comes to give him a test. But before the test, he is examined by Dr. Yue, who you know gives him a clean bill of health and helps get the audience primed for the fact that the Bene Gesserit have their own like, plan. She gives him the test, 
holds Agam Jabbar up to his neck. He struggles, but he he's able to pass, though he's been lightly changed. As his mother Jessica escorts the Reverend Mother back to her ship, they have a discussion about how Jessica was supposed to have a daughter, that she feels that she could be you know, the chosen one to have the Quasox Hadarach, but, you know, it, it, it wasn't planned this way, and thus, you know, she's mad. But Paul, it would seem, had followed them and was listening in, and asks, what does that mean, that he's the chosen one, the Quasox Hadarach? And she pretty much says, you know, don't, don't worry about it uh, too much. Then... It's moving day. They pack up all of their stuff, which I was very happy to see the bull, uh, the bull's head and the painting of Paul's grandfather. The bull's head and the painting of Paul's grandfather were included. There's even actually like a, a little statue of a bull and his grandfather that they take with them. And as far as I can tell... The, the like setup is is the same but it, it's hard it's hard to tell because we don't really see them like opposing each other which is how it's supposed to be set up from the book but it, it, they're included and I'm happy with that and it's even mentioned that at least it's heavily hinted at that that's how his grandfather died because on his tombstone because they do visit his grandfather's tombstone when they go to the to the cemetery on it is him being run through by the bull and paul is talking about how he might not want the responsibility or the power or to be a leader and that's when his father opens up and says you know i didn't want this either i didn't want the power at first i wanted to be a pilot this movie does a really good job of like giving his dad some really good scenes because honestly the best character in the books is probably Duke Leto. It is mentioned that he has like he has a very kind, caring, passionate side, though he does go into fits of rage at times, you know, probably during times of war or something. It's not really mentioned much like what actually triggers him and we don't really ever see it either. But he is kind of the best character in the book and in this movie to be honest. But yeah, at the time it it's mentioned that you know, Paul says, you know, grandfather fought bulls, and uh, Duke Leto Atreides says, yeah, and uh, see where that got him, because <laughs> he, he's dead. But yes, they successfully move to Arrakis. It is very deserty and whatnot, and they they work their way to the palace, and they hear the people chanting. I think it's like uh, it's like Lisa Al Gaib, something like that, which means a uh, voice from the outside or something like that but yeah and a slight change that seems to have been added for this is that it's quite hostile to be outside during the day like period at least that's that's the way that they, they set it up but it doesn't actually um come to fruition at all except for when paul goes to talk to the gardener who's tending to the palm trees which is another like book accuracy is that there there's palm trees that aren't supposed to be there and in the book, I believe the people were quite angry about that, except for the fact that it, it was kind of... Lady Jessica's able to 
kind of turn it into a bit more of a positive thing that they're being held in trust to be given to the people of Arrakis when the planet is, you know, more accepting of plant life, if that were ever to be the case. But in reality, it was brought on by, like, the Harkonnens as, like, a flex. Like, hey, look look how much water we're wasting. Fuck you. But in this, the, the trees themselves are seen as kind of a, a spiritual thing. And, yeah. They included the scene of Jessica picking out a, a well, in the book she doesn't really pick out the, the housemaid, but she, she does talk to the housemaid, the shut up mapes, and it goes pretty much as it happens in this movie, where she knows that she's, the woman's holding a knife on her person, gets her to reveal the knife. In the book, Mapes is pretty much there to confirm whether or not they are, you know, the potential prophesized. And basically it was, she was either going to give the knife to Jessica or she was going to use the knife against Jessica in the book. In this, it's kind of the same, but it's not implied that she's going to actually do that. And she goes, and she just gives the knife to Jessica after she passes her test. In the book, the shout-out Mapes, because she drew the knife, it, it's kind of taboo to draw a Chris knife, as when you draw the Chris knife, it must have blood. So she cuts herself to satiate the, the blood thing, or Jessica like lightly cuts her finger to satiate the blood and then resheathes the Chris knife. But they kind of dropped that from, <laughs> from the movie, so that's fine. Then we have Paul going to talk to the gardener, learns about the trees... Then, while he's learning about Arrakis and the potential for plant life there, he notices a hologram of a mouse in in the foliage hologram and goes to get a look at it when he hears a noise and he sees a hunter-killer. Hunter-killer? Hunter-seeker? Uh, one of those. In this, it, it's like a small mosquito-like robot that like bores its way through and then goes to kill Paul. Like It gets right up to Paul. Right then, the maid comes in, grabs it, kills it, and then there's a, a mad hunt for whoever did it. They find it. It was a Harkonnen agent that was sealed in a wall six weeks ago and has just been in there the entire time, and he released a the hunter-killer through the pipe system. But there's still the potential of, of you know, traitors, obviously. So uh, Duke Leto sends Therfer Hawat to to hunt them down, refusing his resignation and forcing him to move on. Then it cuts to the Baron Harkonnen again, where he's having a discussion with Peter. I don't believe he's actually called Peter in in the movie. He, he's never addressed at all, really. It's a meeting with Peter and the Reverend Mother. The Reverend Mother asks for a cone of silence, and one comes down, and they discuss... The plans going forward, the she tells him that they are approved for the Sardaukar, just need to go get them. She then requests that, as Jessica is part of the Bene Gesserit Order, that she is spared, and so to the son. She asks that she doesn't care about the father or anything like that, just requests that the mother and son are at least given the opportunity of exile. To which the Baron Harkonnen does promise that he won't hurt them. Then after she leaves, Peter asks, like, hey, we, we can't leave them alive. And he said, they're not going to be left alive. 
And Peter's like, but you kept your word. And he's like, hey, Arrakis is Arrakis, man. So don't worry about it. And then he does the thing that a lot of people are kind of upset about. It, and that is he floats up. And I understand a lot of people not liking that. Because in the book, he does not fly. He does not float. He uses, uh, what are they called? Suspensers? Something like that. Basically these things that make lights float. He uses them on his body to alleviate the weight of himself. And so he's able to walk only feeling about 50 pounds worth of weight as he does so. So he may weigh like three to 500 pounds, but he only feels 50 of them. That kind of thing. But that's not really all that visually interesting to, to see a guy just walking around. So of course they're going to change it around. At least this way, they, they make it a little bit more interesting. Like, it's actually, like, built into him along his spine. And it, like, glows red when he's when he's getting ready to move. So, it, you know, they made it a little bit more visually interesting than they did in the 80s or the 2000 miniseries. Plus, he has, like, this really long, flowy cloak thing. Which, it works. Then we cut to uh, back to the Atreides family. Specifically, the, the meeting to determine, like, what they're doing. At which point it is, it's supposed to be said that, hey, you know, everything's been like sabotaged, but instead it just kind of glosses over that. It says that he, he Thuffer Hawat says that, you know, we've been experiencing, we've been left very little essentially, and we're going to be starting from behind and everything. So they go to, to investigate and he has the planetologist, uh, Liet Kynes summoned to give them a tour of, of one of the working fields. But, in the meantime, Duncan Idaho's returned. So they go greet him. He's brought a friend, Stilgar, who greets them by spitting on the floor, which is a sign of respect, and it is returned in kind. Uh, the Duke asks what he can do to help, you know, prove that he's not the same as the Harkonnens, and Stilgar says, don't look for our uh, Sikhs, don't enter the desert. Where the Duke then says, Okay, can't guarantee the desert thing, but the Sikhs are yours and shall always be yours. But yeah, other than that, cool. And Stilgar's like, alright, that's fine. Paul tries to get him to stay, but he's like, nah. But he does show like a flash of recognition uh, while looking at Paul. Paul hung, hangs out a bit with Duncan and is shown some of like the Fremen tools. And then they go off on their little trip. They are introduced to, the, to Dr. Kynes. Liet Kynes, who inspects their still suits that uh, Kynes had given them, which are a Fremen make, and is surprised, of course, to see that Paul has put it on perfectly. Now, in this, they have changed uh, Liet Kynes to be a woman. That doesn't really matter. It still works out exactly the same as it does in the book. Well, with a slight change to, to the end, but we'll talk about that later. But they go out to investigate, and... They, they watch it happen. The Duke spots worm sign, calls it. They try to get evacuated, and the, the carryall that's supposed to pull the spice factory out has a malfunction, which is to, supposed to show that they were left with complete disrepair stuff, and it's like, and a lot of the stuff was likely sabotaged. But in the book, the, the thing is gone. And in, in the book, it's just a bigger version of an Ornthomper, that picks up the factory. But in this, it's like this this platform that lowers down, sends out like these grapples to hook on, 
and then four giant balloons like pop out of the top of it to lift up the the factory which eh, is at least neat but the duke decides it's best to save the people lands gets rid of the shield generators and gets as many people on as he can which is everyone and then they leave and then the worm eats the factory there's another change where paul like gets out i guess he was trying to like guide people to where they need to go but the spice in the air messes with him and he just kind of sits there in in a daze but he gets pulled out by uh gertie halleck and they they make a, a daring escape right before the worm could get them paul is then examined by uh dr ua again to kind of find out what happened and it that Paul was having a vision of Chani stabbing him and leaving him to, to bleed out. And he was very confused about that. And was just kind of left in a daze. And Dr. UH just says that he has a sensitivity to the spice. Then we see Peter retrieving the Sardaukar, who are going through this massive and weird ritual of being, like, anointed. And they ask why they need the Sardaukar when the Harkonnens outnumber the Atreides anyway. And it's stated that, oh, because they were trained by Duncan Idaho and Gurney Halleck, they need more people, thus the Sardaukar. So then the Sardaukar captain's like, okay, that's fine. Then we have a scene where, you know, Jessica is trying to talk to the Duke, who is, asks, if anything happens to me, can you, will you protect Paul? And he, he said, uh, Jessica says, well, of course. And he's like, I'm not asking his mother. I'm asking the Bene Gesserit. Will you keep Paul safe? And yeah, he, he's worried. He, he's, it's as if he senses something coming. And something coming, there is. Uh, Dr. Yue goes around giving their, them their sedatives for the night, but the Duke does not want to partake. He wants, you know, a different way to go to sleep. And he's lightly caressed by jessica and he whispers to her that he should have married her and he's awoken when he notices a flashing light and he goes to investigate and he sees off in the distance flashing in the dunes and this is actually in the book but it happens a lot earlier in the book where you know they're looking out and they notice that someone's like using a reflector to signal someone within the the house but he goes and he notices someone like gurgling and goes over he activates his shield and he notices that the shut up mapes has been stabbed and then something fires out and and kind of hits his shield and like drills through and hits him and it's a paralyzing agent and it's revealed that dr ua is the one that that d betrayed them and now it's all out attack we actually get to see the attack in the movie <laughs> following uh gurney halleck as he's been notified that the shields have the shields have been taken down and things are probably going wrong and they come outside to see that it's an invasion. They fight valiantly, but it cuts away before we actually see, you know, any kind of definitive results. Cuts back to UA and the Duke as UA is putting a tooth the uh, the poison tooth in his mouth and gives him the rundown. The Harkonnens are burning their way through and Duncan Idaho fights his way out and starts to try and escape as we then cut to Paul and Jessica as they've been loaded up onto an Ornthomper and are being flown out of the city. 
to the desert. Uh, yeah, then we followed Duncan's Duncan's escape. Cut back to Paul and Jessica. Paul and Jessica, just like in the book, there is one deaf guy, and then in this one, there's like two other guys and the pilot. Instead of I think there was only like one other guy kind of thing, but yeah. So anyway, there's a deaf guy. Jessica's been bound and gagged, but Paul hasn't. Paul tries to get them to, like, take the gag off of his mother, but he doesn't quite have command of the voice yet. She instructs him to change his pitch using hand signals, and he's able to get it the next time, and it, it works. They're able to defeat their captors. The Ornthomper is, like, locked out, so they have to take the Fremen kit that Yue stowed on the sh- uh, ship with them and move out. The only issue is that the Fremen kit did not come with still suits. In the book, they did. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> there were still suits in, in the book. Uh, then we cut to... Yeah, they surveyed the, the damage. Then we cut to the Duke Leto, who has been stripped naked and is just kind of laying there in, in the dining room. And Dr. Yue is brought in and asks what happened to his wife. And the Baron Harkonnen floats over to him and says that his promise was to to end her suffering and set her free and that he would be able to join her. Then he grabs his head and says, now join her, and like straight up decapitates him and then chucks the head off to the side. And that is kind of a very big uh, no-no because in the whole point of the Baron in the book is that he's very hands-off when it came to like the blood and whatnot because the whole the whole idea was like if a truth sayer were to force them to speak they could literally say i didn't do anything because he, he didn't at least that was supposed to be the idea in the book it's it's peter who kills dr ua and causes the baron to get mad because it's kind of implied that jessica and paul likely live and they don't know where where they are. But the Baron is now close enough to to Duke Leto in order for him to bite down on the tooth and put it put it into his face. And it almost works. They close off the the room and the Baron in this version is actually trapped inside, but he floated up to the top and was like wheezing in the top, and he's taken off to to heal. Uh, meanwhile, Jessica and Paul are hanging out in the tent, looking through the stuff that they have. They find Yue's note, and they find with it the Duke's signet, and they know then that the Duke is dead. Then we cut to a scene of Duncan confronting Dr. Kynes, who states that... Because he he asks her, are you not going to report to the houses that we've we were obviously set up? And she says, I am not allowed to say anything i am not allowed to see anything so it's kind of shown there that yeah they were they were set up to die from the beginning they were sabotaged and everything and we cut back to paul as he has a vision of his terrible purpose as he's been exposed to a lot of the spice within the tent and his sensitivity is giving him clearer visions of the future and what he sees is him leading 
a charge of Fremen soldiers against the Sardaukar. And he interprets this as him burning through the galaxy, through the universe even. I mean, most of the scenes are him and the group fighting in like upgraded suits through a desert, but then it does eventually show him like on Caladan with Chani and everyone and the Atreides banners, the whole kit and caboodle. So it is kind of cool to see that it it does show his full terrible purpose. And they hear the beacon that was part of the kit, and they they exit, see that it's Duncan, follow him, or, or they get onto a stomper. They they go meet up with uh, Kynes, who shows them a facility, the ecological testing facility that was supposed to be used to make Arrakis green, but was abandoned after the discovery of Spice. The Sardaukar, who in this movie aren't really hidden, they're supposed to be wearing like Harkonnen uniforms, was like the whole idea, is that it was supposed to be really hard to tell that the Sardaukar were there, and thus Duncan's line of like, oh, you know, you know if you fought a Sardaukar, kind of thing, is kind of lost when when it's very obvious it's Sardaukar because they're wearing completely different outfits than everyone else. And they also have like jetpacks, and they just like silently drop down but Duncan makes his last stand while uh, Kynes guides Jessica and Paul out of the testing lab and they they split up there Jessica and Paul are, make it to the stowed away thomper that only has two seats so uh, Kynes must go her own way and she plans on making the announcement to the Landstrad to try and get help that doesn't really work so she's summoning a worm and she is likely going to try and ride it but gets stabbed by a sardaukar and as the sardaukar is about to kill her she the sardaukar says you've betrayed the emperor she says that her only uh, allegiance is to shahalud and she like pounds onto the ground to to summon the worm who then eats eats them in the book uh i don't know if i stated but uh I, I believe I did actually. That Kynes is stripped of the still suit and forced to walk through the desert, explodes in a a pre spice mass issue. But yeah, Jessica and Paul coast through a storm. Raven announces to the Baron Harkonnen, or Raban announces to the Baron Harkonnen that Jessica and Paul are almost certainly dead. And he pops out of his healing goo to say, cool. And then he sinks back down. Well, he, he then announces to Raban that he must squeeze Arrakis for everything. As they can't use the money, the, the spice, all at once or else it would be too suspicious. Now, in the book, they lost their spice reserves. In the book, the plan was still, regardless, to squeeze Arrakis and, like, force them to hate whoever was put in so that the Baron could put Thade in charge and they would be super happy and they would become a hero. But, in the book, his hand is forced to go much harder, much faster than he was planning because the Duke, uh, Leto, had sent a suicide mission to go destroy their reserves on getting... Uh, 
Getty Prime. And it, it, for the most part, works. Like, most of the spice reserves that they had stored up were destroyed. Yeah, he's forced, in order to actually properly be able to repay the, the thing, to squeeze Arrakis. But in this, he's just having, having Raban squeeze it because he wants it squeezed, I guess. Then Paul and Jessica crash land, don the still suits that the Kynes had given them, and then they start their trek through the desert. Paul has some more visions relating to... Most of his visions in the movie are related to Chani, like he just sees Chani. But a few of them are of another man who he starts to hear whispers in his head is supposed to be a friend that is supposed to help guide him. So I guess that's something that he's trying to keep an eye out for. They eventually make it and are introduced to the Fremen. They see that Stilgar is part of the group. And it, it follows fairly closely to how it is in the book. They're ambushed. There's vague allusions to the fact that they might be able to teach Paul, but Jessica's practically useless. But so Paul and Jessica are ready for a fight. They start sc- scrapping. Paul rushes off, punches uh, one of them, takes their gun, flees and scrambles up the side of a cliff. Except for in the movie, he takes out a few more guys as he goes, and he sets up ready to to, to shoot down uh, if he needs to. Stilgar and Jessica are able to calm things down. He's like, "Hey, man, if we had known that you could fight, then you know we would we wouldn't have threatened you." And he's like, "Why didn't you say that you could do this?" And she's like, "Well, the conversation kind of cut short." He's like, "Fair enough." So they all like settle down. Paul is starting to pull away, and he hears Chani behind him say, I wouldn't have let you hurt my friends. In the book, she's she's searching for him. Stilgar tells her to stop searching, and it turns out she was like right above him. And he thinks that she left, but he stays and like kind of inches closer, keeping an eye on things, and then it turns out she she was like right next to him the entire time. But yeah, so they're about to get moving when I believe his name is Janus calls out Jessica saying, nah, I don't accept this. I call a fight. Stilgar says, you can't, you can't call her out because she's under protection and she has been given official like title. So you can't call her out. And he's like, fine. Who's her champion? Paul, of course, steps up as champion. They, they fight. Paul gets him, into like a like uh, the knife up against his neck and says, "Do you yield?" Which everyone like freaks out about, and he's like, "Not." Nah, he doesn't know our ways. It, it's fine. He doesn't know our ways. There is no yielding, only death. So Paul keeps getting him in, like about to kill him, but can't commit to actually killing him. To where it looks like he's he's just playing with the guy by constantly. Getting ready to do a kill move, but failing to actually execute it. To which uh, his mother corrects them and says, no, he just hasn't killed a man. Eventually, Paul succumbs, seeing that it's possible that this is very... He he has a vision, which kind of... This man is one, the man that was in his vision that was supposed to become his friend and show him the ways of the desert and whatnot. But, well, now he has to kill him. And... Before the fight, he has a vision that's like, you know, Paul Atreides must die 
for the Kazakhs Hadarak to, to like be born kind of thing. And to kill another person is to kill yourself. So the idea is he must, you know, succumb to the blood in the jungle and kill the guy. He does. And he's like kind of, of course, shook up about it. And then he's, uh, Stilgar says, you are now one of us. So let's, let's go. His mom's like, wait, no, no, we, we need to get him off planet. And Paul's like, nah. Nah, we need to harvest the desert power, so... And, like, you know, my dad didn't come here for the spice, he didn't come here for the money, he didn't come here for anything like that. He came here for the Fremen, the desert power. So, I need to go through with this. So, they set off. He spots off in the distance a man riding a worm, and he, he whispers, desert power, and then Chani says, this is just the beginning. As he kind of has a slight flash to potential, you know, the, the potential war and whatnot. And then the movie ends. That's where it ends. Overall, I would say it was very faithful to the book. Uh, some minor changes here and there as to, like, the order of things. Some added scenes. For some reason, all of his visions are, like, Chani related for the most part. Until, until the point at which, you know, he starts inhaling the spice. He notices his mom's pregnant a hell of a lot earlier. Uh, The scene after he first inhales Spice uh, during the the factory incident, he's like, yeah, I I can tell that you're pregnant. She's like, you can't tell that I'm pregnant. Like, I I barely know. And then it's just dropped after that. It's not really really mentioned there. But he, he does freak out on his mom like he does in the book, calling, saying that it's her fault. You know, they made him a freak by by training him. The fact that the tense included is nice. It's nice to... You know, it's really nice when you read a book and then you go to watch the movie adaptation. You see how these things are shown. And for the most part, a lot of it, I'm willing to say, is very faithful. I like how the shields worked. Uh, instead of being like a belt or on their waist, it's now a belt on their hand. Which makes a bit more sense as it's a little bit easier to... To get access to the set design was really cool and the the connection between paul and his father was really nice as well we weren't shown the fact that that we didn't we weren't given all of harkon the harkonnen's plans and we weren't shown that the duke fully knew that they were walking into a death trap that would likely result in him being gone but we are given some small hints as to that being the case. Uh, da, da, da. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm very excited to see where where this goes. The next movie comes out next uh, week. And we will see how it, it wraps things up. There, there's the whole weird thing about the Harkonnens being all bald for, for some reason. And there is still some of the weirdness from the, the 80s movie. Such as... The, the healing bath thing is just like this weird black oil bath thing. It's very weird. The voice is also kind of weird, but yeah. The set design's cool. The costumes are cool. The effects are really cool. Being able to see some of the, like, the Harkonnen battle, like them taking back Arakeen, really cool, especially since we get to see, like, the bombs dropping, drilling through the ship's shields, and then, like, blowing up the ships. Very cool. The thing that was missing 
we didn't really get to see the fact that they brought in like artillery, like retro retro artillery. Uh, and we're the the, the t- time scale is also a little bit off in this movie, like it is in the book. Of course, the biggest issue, the biggest time scale issue, comes mostly in the second half. So we'll see how the next movie handles that. Uh, but yeah, I, I was very pleasantly surprised at how faithfully adapt, adapted it, it was, at least to my tastes. Being able to see a lot of the stuff was was very cool. There was something that I was a little bit worried about watching the trailers. And I think it's just mostly the fact that the, the, the Harkonnens are... I think it's just the Harkonnen design. They're, they're like the, the biggest change, I would say. Is that Getty Prime is like this weird, like oppressive place. Which I mean, it is in the book, but it's still like a city. Like a normal city. But for some reason, everyone on Getty Prime's bald. Peter, bald. And they're all, like, pale. But I think that's because, like, Getty Prime is, like, a dark planet in in this movie for some reason. But, yeah. Anywho, with that said, where are we? Ah, perfect. I'm taking a look at my calendar. (laughs) So, when this episode comes out, it'll be this Friday that the challenge, the new challenge, officially starts on the RPG Hangout feed. So, keep an eye out for that when when that comes out it won't be a whole lot as it is the introductory episode it'll just kind of be laying everything out how the challenge is going to work maybe give you a bit of an example of what it's going to be but on this channel the next thing that comes out is going to be dune part two followed by the live action avatar which came out today as of when i'm recording this so i'll be watching that sometime between now and then I hear mixed things. We shall see. But, with that said, thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys liked this, feel free to give it a like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Or if you are listening to to this on any podcast catcher of your choice, please feel free to rate and review it. Share it with your friends. And of course, since it comes out this week, feel free to check out RPG Hangout, where the challenge shall be hosted And I will talk to you guys next time. Goodbye.